friends, fellow patriots, and fellow citizens, and welcome to this week's edition of the We the People Convention News and Opinion Podcast. We hope that you're doing well as the fall starts to, you know, pass through our states uh, with the first signs of uh, snow in the West. I saw this morning and I uh, hope that you're enjoying the fall. It's a beautiful time of year. And, um, you know, I, I am just really happy to, you know, to have you joining us in today's podcast, taking time from that fall weather, you know, for you to just catch up on the news and kind of understand, you know, what's going on that affects you personally, affects you and your family, because that's what we do here. Our, our podcast is dedicated to protecting and defending our individual freedom, liberty, and prosperity. And for those of you who are joining us for the first time, you will see that we don't just talk about what's going on. We take action to try to affect what's going on to make our life better and the life of every American better and basically everyone in the world better. Because if a strong America, uh, you know, is a is a strong world, a free America is a free world. And so, uh, you know, that's what we're going to talk about in this week's podcast, you know, what's going on in the news that affects you and what maybe we can do to affect that. So thanks for joining us and please tell others about it, uh, if you will. Because, um, you know, we really want to get the message out to as many people as we can, because there's so much propaganda, there's so much fake news, uh, there's actually so much just outright lying, uh, as we'll talk about in this uh, podcast a little bit, uh, that it's hard to know what's really going on. And that's why I think many of you watch this podcast every week, because it's a reliable source of information. Now, I'm not always right, and if I'm wrong, I'll, I'll admit it and I'll correct it, but uh, I also you know, will never lie to you. I will never tell you something that I know to be untrue intentionally. Uh, I will you know, never you know, uh, try to just push an agenda uh, or an ideology. Uh, that's not what we're about. We're about honesty and truth and, uh, and about freedom and liberty. So uh, we're going to go now into the podcast. We always have been, our last few weeks at least, we've been beginning our podcast with uh, thinking about the political prisoners, the uh, people who have been held uh, in Washington, D.C. unfairly, unjustly, uh, unconstitutionally uh, f- since January 6th. There's about 50 so people there. You can write to them by going to patriotmailproject.com, patriotmailproject.com. Uh, we've been getting a great response from the prisoners. They've greatly appreciated uh, our letters. And I know that those of you who have written and gotten letters back have greatly appreciated their letters. There is progress being made. Uh, I know that Sidney Powell and her group has uh, gotten involved and they're representing some of these prisoners and people are getting out. They're getting out, uh, you know, with time served, uh, that type of thing. And our goal is to get them all out by the end of this year. And I think we have a good chance to do that. But, you know, right now, I'd just like to take a minute for all of us to just say a prayer for these individuals, for these patriots, for these people, you know, who uh, have been really attacked by our government as a message to you and I. And, and you know, we want to, God to give them strength and courage and give us the wisdom uh, and the you know and the courage to fight to get them out and to, and to bring the people that have unjustly attacked them and charged them to justice. So just take a minute and say a quick prayer.
We also, you know, pray for their families who are missing them so much and who can't make any sense out of this, you know, injustice. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's been brutal on them. So if you know any of them, please help them any way you can. I know many of you are donating to the GoFundMe accounts for these prisoners and things. And, and we appreciate you doing that. Again, if, if we won't defend them, if we won't fight for their liberty, who's going to fight for our liberty? Right. That's the bottom line. We need to stand together or for sure we will hang together. Sounds like something the founding fathers said. Right. Speaking of which, last week I was one of the first to report to you this bizarre you know, story about the, the Department of Justice, you know, going to go after local school board members to uh, because they were, quote unquote, you know, domestic terrorists. OK. And this has really been. You know, a, a sad, a sad state of affairs because, uh, when I wrote to you last week or when I spoke to you last week, I made the case that this was a brushback pitch. This was that there was nothing in law that these people, these school boards were doing that could cause the FBI or anyone to, uh, you know, to treat them as terrorists. Now, we since have found that part of what's going on here is the Justice Department is, is basically coaching these school board members to put, you know, you know, to, to make it out as if these people are threatening them or committing terrorist acts, but you're not. And I said to you, you know, don't be fooled. Don't back off. Don't, you know, don't stop. And so I, I cut out last week's video uh, and put it separately on a page with a Tucker Carlson video that talked about, you know, why you, 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 know, you, you can and must ignore these phony threats and continue to, continue to go to your school board meetings. And it's really important because, again, what are they trying to do? They're trying to get you to self-censor. They're trying to get you to silence yourself, Right. And this is going to backfire on them big time. And I'm going to explain something to you here uh, in, in a minute that's even, you know, takes us to a whole new level. Okay. Because guess who these moms are, right? What percentage of parents with kids in high school, K through 12 schooling are suburban moms who voted against Donald Trump because they didn't like his personality, right? And they voted for Joe Biden because, you know, he was a civil person, except they're now finding he's a tyrant and that he's he's acting illegally and he's going after them. This is, as you're going to see, is a big part of the reason why the polling for Biden and this whole administration is going down the, down the toilet, because they're now alienating one of their key voting constituencies. Okay. So it's not going to work out too well for them. And, and there was a lot of pushback. If you go to the page, you know, that, that uh, I had posted this, uh, you know, picture on it, we the people convention.org, you'll also see, uh, Senator Josh Hawley's, you know, defense of, of these people. Okay. And then, you know, and then you'll see my statement, right? But what you didn't see is this little beauty. Look at this. Biden administration caught colluding to silence America's parents. Mark Levin has the receipts. Okay. Now listen to this story because it's, it's just unbelievable. Okay. The federal government 
is using its power to silence and intimidate American citizens, said conservative talk radio host and author Mark Levin, who released a bombshell letter on his program Thursday. They're trying to chill free speech. The letter from the nonprofit organization America First Legal, AFL, to the United States Inspector General claims, in light of Attorney General's memorandum of October 4th, 2021, it appears the Department of Justice is committing the full weight of its federal law enforcement resources to prevent parents from exercising constitutionally protected rights and privileges for inappropriate partisan purposes. The AFL says it's an inside job by key Biden administration stakeholders, including the National Education Association, the American Federation of Teachers, and others, and have uh, combined to oppress, threaten, and intimidate parents to chill and prevent them from exercising the rights or privileges secured by the Constitution. To date, these efforts, though extensive, have generally proven ineffectual. And it wasn't just any insiders. The AFL believes high-ranking officials in the Biden White House staff and the Department of Justice have been meeting since early September to collude not only in the writing of Attorney Garland's uh, memorandum, but to develop a plan to use a letter from an outside group as a pretext for federal action to chill, deter, and discourage parents from exercising their constitutional rights and privileges. Now, follow me here. In other words, AFL says the Biden administration was in on the unconstitutional effort to mitigate the political impact of the parent mobilization at school board meetings and organization around school issues like CRT and mask mandates in the upcoming midterm elections all along. And who was the outside group? The good old National School Board Association. Remember them in their September 29th letter calling Americans concerned parents domestic terrorists? So now we now now we know why we never heard of the NSBA. Had you ever heard of them before that letter came out? I hadn't, right? Because we, why we never heard of them before? Because during the White House and DOJ meetings, they planned to send a letter not from the usual suspects, meaning the leftist teachers unions, but from the NSBA, which is supposed to represent American parents. And now the AFL suggests that the short time for the AG's memorandum to be written and made public after the NBA SBA letter was sent to Biden is suspect as well. The short time frame between September 29th and the Attorney General's memorandum suggests that either the entire matter was pre-coordinated and the September 29th by, but pretext or that the normal clearance process and standard order both within the department, including legal sufficiency review by the Office of Legal Counsel, the Civil Rights Division, you know, the Office of Legal Policy, and between department and the White House Counsel and the Office of Management budget were bypassed or corrupted. Meaning, there was no way Garland could have come out with this letter, uh, this memorandum on October 4th, after just receiving the letter on September 29th. He knew in advance. But wait, there's more. According to the AFL, the Biden administration did not stop at intimidating American citizens. It taught those same officials how to skirt the law to further implement the very school issue parents are concerned about. So in other words, they're giving guidance to school boards about how do you stave off these parents and implement what they don't want anyway. How's that for good governance? How's that for helping to make your schools better. 
The President of the United States, his staff, and the Department of Justice are colluding with the teachers and, and with this school board association who are what? Leftist, anti-American, communist-funded organizations. To do what? To overthrow our nation. That's what this is. And so where is the, uh, the FBI? Right? Where's the CIA? Where's all the people who are supposed to, you know, Department of Homeland Security? Where are they to protect us? That's why the polls are down so far. Because the Biden administration, like the Obama administration, right? Read the book, The Intimidation Game by Kimberly Strassel, which I'm in, about the Obama administration and how they weaponize the entire federal government against we the people. And now, since all the Obama commies are back in, right, they're doing it again and even more so. That's why you got to go to your school board meeting. That's why you've got to unelect your school board and replace them with people who will do what? Get rid of the union. No school has any obligation to have a union contract. The school board decides. And you can decide that you're not having a union in your school because what are they doing? They're extorting money from taxpayers, from property owners in your community. They're extorting that in the form of union dues, which then go where? To pay for Antifa and Black Lives Matter and the Democratic Socialist Party of America, right? We got to stop them. We got to defund them. So those of you running for school board, make yourself known in the community that you are against CRT, you are against the violation of our liberties with mask mandates and mandatory vaccines, and that you are you want to replace the people who are supporting the unions and, and the destruction of our country and the indoctrination of our children. Okay? That's the deal. But, you know, I love this because they want to track you right, as a domestic terrorist, right? And they're going after the January 6th protesters as if they're a domestic terrorist. But you'll love this. This was sent to us by one of our members. FBI admits they don't bother tracking Antifa violence. Uh, let's see here. BLM destroyed over 1,500 businesses and buildings in Minneapolis alone. During the riots, over 700 police officers were injured. Black Lives Matter was linked to 91% of the riots, which resulted in the most costly property damage in U.S. insurance history. Despite that, the FBI putting their, despite the FBI putting their full focus on so-called domestic terrorists or Trump supporters, they openly admitted they don't even bother keeping track of violence from the radical left. Town Hall reports in a congressional hearing last week titled Confronting, Confronting Violent White Supremacy, Examining the Biden Administration's Counterterrorism Strategy, FBI Assistant Director of Counterterrorism Timothy Langan said that the Bureau doesn't consider Antifa to be an organization and as such does not have specific information on the group's activities and they don't keep track of their extremist violent activities. The FBI. Right? Yeah. They they don't consider them an organization. Well, how did they have that encampment in that park in Portland that took up acres, had tents, had food delivery, had water delivery, had sanitation, so that every night, 
those people in those tents could go and attack the federal building in Portland, downtown Portland. How is that not organized? Right? Where'd they get their equipment? Where'd they get their fireworks? Where'd they get their bottled water that was frozen so they could injure police officers? Oh, but the FBI, they, they can't find that organization for some reason, right? Well, how, but they're not an organization. Oh, no, 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 they're not. Okay, so that was a big story this week. Here's the next thing. I talked to you last week about the fear-mongering, about the death ceiling is an insult to all Americans. And if you go to that page at wethepeopleconvention.org, you will see a video that explains that there is zero, zero chance that we're going to default on anything. Uh, this week, you know, I said last week that we take in like $450 billion a month in our federal government through taxes and fees and stuff like that. Uh, I heard this week it's more like $385 billion, so maybe I was wrong about that. But here's the bottom line. Our debt, right? Because here's the big thing that Janet Yellen is screaming and, and, and Joe Biden is telling you, oh my gosh, you know, we're going to have a, the world it's going to have an economic collapse like 2008 if we don't raise the debt ceiling. Except for one thing. Our debt, we won't default on our debt. Our debt is $58 billion And our, our income is $358 billion. And guess what? Social Security, that's already paid for by separate money. That isn't even part of this, right? So it's all a lie. It's a damnable lie. But that, that didn't stop Mitch McConnell from caving in, right? So Mitch McConnell caves and offers Democrats a short-term debt fix uh, during the standoff, which, of course, they accepted, okay? Now, get this. Biden brings in all these big government-supported CEOs like Citibank, right, and 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 you know the the you know the the big tech companies, and they met with the president, and then they told you know the Republicans, oh my gosh, it will be a disaster if you don't raise the debt limit. You, the country will collapse. It will be a calamity. All a lie. But McConnell, yeah, and the senators, where do they get their money for re-election? They get it from the Chamber of Commerce, right? They get it from big business. They get it from billionaires. That's where they get the money to run. And so Mitch McConnell suddenly says, well, we're going to vote to pass this. And what does what does Chuck Schumer do? Right. So they, they passed a short-term debt ceiling increase until December 22nd, right, because they the Democrats want to increase the debt ceiling not just to pay what we've put for COVID and stuff, but to pay for their $8 trillion worth of infrastructure, Green New Deal, socialist, you know, pay you not to work, get on the government plantation plants. That's what they want to do. They want to raise the debt ceiling by a huge amount, okay? So Biden gives them just a short-term increase. And what does Chuck Schumer do? He literally just, just spits in their face. After the vote, he goes on a rant about the Republicans and how they're causing the country to collapse and they're responsible for all that's going on bad in our country. It was so bad that there's videos you can see that Joe Manchin, who helped make this possible, was sitting behind Schumer and got so disgusted, he got up and walked out. And later he had words with Schumer. 
Okay? And then McConnell says, after the fact, well, we're not going to help them pass the next one. They'll get no votes from the Republicans. Hey, Mitch, I don't want to hear it. Okay? No Republican should have voted for the infrastructure bill. They shouldn't have voted for this debt ceiling short-term increase. And I want to hear, Mitch, how you're going to stop this $1.5 trillion infrastructure bill. And that now it's going to be like a 2.2 supposedly trillion dollar Green New Deal. These are death to America, Mitch. How are you going to stop it? Because you can. You can filibuster these things. You going to support that, Mitch? Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. So I put something on the website uh, this week that I'd like you to look at if you get a chance. It's a letter from Senator Grassley uh, from Iowa explaining what the Dems are really up to. And, and I got this from one of our members who wrote, as I asked you to do, call your congressman, call your senators, you know, tell them you can't pass this. You know, you got to stop them. It's it, our country's at stake. OK, this is about implementing socialism. And I'm not going to read you the whole letter, but I'm just going to read you a, a paragraph or so here. It says, uh, Senator Schumer writes, I agree with your opposition to President Biden's enormous multi-trillion dollar quote, infrastructure bill. Contrary to the claims of many commentators that the partisan tax and spending spree will cost approximately $3.5 trillion, the real cost of the plan is close to $4.2 trillion. There is broad bipartisan support in Congress for addressing our core infrastructure needs. Ha, what a joke. You know, and then, like, remember, 24% of the infrastructure bill is for infrastructure, right? So the $1.5 trillion, right, it should be like, 400 billion? Yeah. But the new 4.2 trillion reckless spending spree is not infrastructure. Free college is not infrastructure. Amnesty is not infrastructure. Senator Sanders' plan to massively expand Medicare is not infrastructure. While there are policies where bipartisan support can be found, we do not need a multi-trillion dollar plan of raising taxes to pay for enormous new entitlement programs. So, you know, go to the website, read the rest of his letter, because he spells it out to you. And I know many of you are calling your senators and congressmen because I've asked you to, and you don't hear back. And I just thought it would be good for you to see what a real congressman does, a real senator does with their constituents. And I appreciate uh, that letter coming my way, and I hope you enjoy it. Okay? So then the other big event of the week, so we, you know, we had the, you know, the, the intimidation of parents by our Department of Justice, right? And, and then, you know, we had the phony debt ceiling debate. Okay. But now we get into this insanity in Arizona. I mean, I posted this, you know, this guy admits that, you know, that, that they basically, they, they basically deleted the data on purpose. Okay, so in Arizona, Maricopa, Arizona, there was a congressional hearing this week, which I didn't even know was going to go on. Okay, and listen to the video. This this is just stunning to me. Okay, so let me play you the video of this. I just find it here. Okay, here you go. So you, you so you admit that you guys did delete Maricopa County did delete files off the server after the election yeah, that that were that are archived. Yeah, and so when you released. Um, uh, these these uh, servers and these, this information to the auditors to begin with, they didn't have access to those archived files at first. Is that fair to say? They did not subpoena those. That's correct. <laughs> okay, so 
So you didn't feel obligated to turn that over then to, to them? We, we responded to the subpoena. Okay. Mr. Bennett, your response to that? I find it, frankly, laughable to suggest that a county, in response to a subpoena, could say we will delete files from the hard drives and materials that we give to the auditors because we have those files archived on data that we did not give to the auditors when the subpoena said turn over all the records related to the election. Yes, yeah, that's the way I read the subpoena. It was read more broadly than, than the county read it, for sure. So, um, so your, your Twitter account mentions that the purging of the 2020 election database in the beginning of February is a standard practice. Can you please confirm for me that that's what you do for all elections, after all elections you, that you do that? I, I cannot confirm that for you today, but we can certainly get you that answer, Congressman. Thank, thank you. Mr. Chairman, can you, can you confirm that today or not? I, I really can't confirm that either today. I, I just know that because there is limited space on these servers, when you have to run another election, then you have to make room for the additional uh, election data. So, so was there additional, was, was, was there still, well, let me just rephrase this. If that, if that is the standard practice, which is kind of, I don't think you guys are saying that you know for sure, but you're, uh, the chairman just intimated that, that that's the case. Can you explain to me why data was still present for prior elections uh, on the databases in and of itself? Yeah, I, again, I, I don't have an answer to that question, but we'll certainly get you an answer for it, Congressman. What a bunch of bold-faced liars. These people, listen, the subpoena required them to turn over all the election records, and they did not. Is this not obstruction of a legal government investigation? Is this not against the law to knowingly violate a legal subpoena that was upheld by a judge and ordered to be complied with? These people need to be charged with a crime and prosecuted. They also need to turn over the full voter data to the Senate Forensic Audit Team now. And I asked you in, on our website to call Attorney General Mark uh, Bronovich at 602-542-5025. That's 602-542-5025 and demand that these Maricopa officials be charged and order them to turn over the full voter files, at least to his office, and then to the election team. Can you believe the audacity of this? Did they Are they that stupid? Do they really think they're just going to get away with deleting stuff? And, oh, you know, we gave them what they subpoenaed. No, you didn't. The subpoena said, all files related to the election. You intentionally withheld those. That's a crime, damn it. Charge them. Call the Attorney General of Arizona. These people need to go to jail. This is obstruction of justice. And where's the question? What are they hiding? My God, what are you hiding? If this election was on the up and up, why wouldn't you give those those files? I want to see with Cyber Ninjas and the other people find when they get those files. That's what I want to see. Don't tell me that the election audit in Maricopa didn't prove you know, that, that this election was fraudulent. It sure as hell did. 53,000 illegal votes. But how many more are we going to find in this file? That's the question I've got. It's outrageous. 
And I was glad to see this story. Many of you probably didn't see it. 92 state legislators demand 50-state election audit and consequences. This is a group of 92 state legislators are demanding, legislators are demanding audits of all 50 states for the 2020 election and for each state to, de to decertify its electors where it has been shown that the elections were certified prematurely and, and inadequately. The Arizona, as after the results of the audit of Maricopa County were publicized, Arizona State Senator Wendy Rogers unveiled what she called the New Declaration of Independence, in which state legislators across America called for Arizona-style audits for all 50 states. The Arizona audit revealed our representative republic suffered a corrupted 2020 election, the legislators who signed on with Rogers' declaration said. Constitutional analysts have indicated that decertification would be sound legal recourse for a corrupted election after the fact. Now, this was interesting to me, so follow this. We are in uncharted territory, but there are a couple things to point to, said constitutional lawyer John Eastman. We can point to the Hawaii election of 1960, when the governor subsequently certified another state of electors, another slate of electors, after they discovered error in the initial certification. We can point to Section 2 of Title 3 of the United States Code that says when a state has had an election and has failed to make a choice in the day prescribed by law, which is, you know, the choice that was made, the assumption was that it was fraudulently given because of illegal votes. The electors may be, may be appointed on a subsequent day in such a manner as the legislature of such state may direct, Eastman continued, so that recognizes the authority of the legislature to fix a problem. Okay, is that possible? Can we decertify these elections? You know, I don't think that, that the, the this courage is there for the Republicans in these states, but I still think the idea of auditing all 50 states is really a sound one, and I'm asking you to go and have... Um, you know, ask your state legislators to join with Wendy Rogers. Now, uh, I'll post an article and they list the, the, the 90, uh, 92 state legislators, you know, who agree to this and the copy of the letter. I'll post that for you. And I think we just need to start building the idea that we need these audits because clearly things are really wrong. Things are really wrong and we got to get them fixed and we got them fixed before a year from now. November 2022, it's a big election. Okay, the next big story this week was, you know, Biden you know, missed expectations for the jobs report again. You know, it's just, it's just disgusting. President Friday, uh, President Biden on Friday brushed off the worst jobs report of his presidency. Illegal President Joe Biden, the illegitimate president, the so-called phony the, the phony president claimed monthly totals bounced around before walking off without taking reporters' questions. Unemployment rates dropped to 4.8% in September, the lowest since February 2020, he said, even though economists reflect, uh, say that that reflects fewer people seeking work. So the unemployment rate went, so what Biden focused on is the unemployment rate went from 5.2% to 4.8%. Okay? But what you need to understand is, and this is how stupid our government is and how I hate it. And even during the Trump years, they did the same thing. The only people they count as unemployed is people who are looking for work that didn't find it. So here's the bottom line. You know, there you see four hire signs everywhere in your community. The fact of the matter is people are not going to work 
because of COVID and the stimulus money for people, you know, to stay home and not work. Right now, they disagree with this, but follow me here. He added that monthly totals, monthly totals bounce around, but if you take a look at the trend, it's solid. On average, six hundred thousand new jobs created every month since I took office, said Biden. The new report showed the U.S. added just one hundred ninety-four thousand in September, far short of the expectation of five hundred thousand, folks. Like I said to you, where's this expectation from economists? How dumb are these economists? I've said before. How could you project 500,000 and it'd be 194,000? That's only 40%. You're 60% off. Fire these freaking economists. Okay? But hey, Joe, 194,000 ain't 600,000, is it? The shortfall compounded a hiring slowdown in August when the U.S. added 366,000 jobs when the economists expected 720,000. Okay? So he's blowing smoke. The economy is collapsing. And people know that. People understand that. And so the polling has come out and it's devastating. Americans give President Biden low, fake President Biden lowest marks across the board. Quinnipiac University National Poll finds majority say the Biden administration is not competent. Duh. You think? Well, Democrats overwhelmingly approve of President of fake President Biden, the Republicans overwhelmingly, 94% disapprove. So 80% of Democrats think Biden's, you know, fine. 94% of Republicans disapprove. Biden's overall proper, uh, popularity with independents has slipped to a 32% approval rating. 32% of independents. Wow. Notably, disapproving among America's or Biden's response to the COVID-19 pandemic rose to 50%, which puts a damper on the White House's repeated rhetoric, promising to beat the virus in their critical campaign to boost the, uh, push booster shots and vaccine mandates. Biden's campaign team largely relied on his plan to combat COVID to get him through the election. But now, just nine months into his tenure in the White House, he's struggling to win over Americans who are becoming more skeptical of his virus panic porn. Virus panic porn. As Quinnipiac notes, nearly 7 in 10 uh, of Americans with kids under the age of 18 say they do not think that students should be required to receive a COVID-19 vaccine once students of all ages are eligible for a COVID-19 vaccine. Yeah, because kids aren't in danger and the vaccine only endangers them from the vaccine and doesn't help them fight the, the disease. As a whole, Americans tend to disapprove of Biden's track record so far. And Democrats are recognizing it, whether it's his approach to the economy, which 55% of Americans disapprove of, or his handling of the U.S. military following the Afghan crisis, which 58% of Americans disapprove of. A majority of respondents were clear that they don't like what the president is doing. More than half, 54% of the respondents also said they are unhappy with his approach to taxes. Biden's disapproval rating when it comes to immigration issues in the situation of the Mexican border climbs even higher to 67%. When it comes to Biden as a person, nearly half, 48% of those polled say they do not believe the president cares about average Americans, a number which climbed by more than 10 points since April. 50% of respondents also said they don't think Biden is honest because he's not. He's a liar. He lies to your face every day it, uh, and up 8% points from April, whilst 56% of those polls that he does not have good leadership skills up 12 points since April.
And that poll was followed up by a Trafalgar Group poll, and Biden's approval hits a new low. Independent support, according to Trafalgar Group, is 27.5%. Dems is only 61, and GOP is 11. Wow. Okay? Now, there is a question, and you should be suspicious, because we know the polling companies all lie, right? We, we They all lie. And we know Quinnipiac is one of the biggest liars. So when they come out with these polls, when they are the ones who lied about Biden winning and, and everything during the election, why is this happening? Is it is it just a warning to Biden that we're going to lose in 2022 if you don't back off? Are they doing a brushback pitch on him? Or is it really so damn bad that, that they have to report it? I don't know. I'm not sure what the truth of that is. I think it's that bad. I just don't know that that many Democrats and independents would be aware of it, right? But we'll see. But here's something I do know and do agree with. Two-thirds of Republicans want Trump to retain major party uh, political role, and 44% want him to run again. So this is from the Pew Research Group, right? Because, again, it's Trump, Trump, Trump. Right? No matter what's going wrong, we need to scream Trump because that's how we get our people to fight against it, right? Yeah, except there's all a lot of people who voted for, quote unquote, fictitiously voted for Biden who are now wishing Trump was back. So it's very interesting, you know, this little poll. Here's a, a graph about this. And it says, uh, you know, that 44% want Trump to run for president again, 22% support another presidential candidate. They want Trump to support like DeSantis. And 32% think that he should not retain a major role. So those are your never Trumpers that are still out there. Okay. But the bottom line is that Trump is still driving the party. It's just that simple. You know, that, that you know, and that's why we talk so much about how we have to join forces with Trump to, to not just re-take uh, the White House and the Congress, but to do it in a way that's going to fix these problems, that's going to fight the left, right? And I talked to you last week about a contract, right, between the we the people and Trump and who he endorses. We're going to talk about that. You're going to love some of what uh, I came up with and what you sent to me and we compiled. I'm going to talk about that at the end of the show, okay? But the, the bottom line is Biden is totally unpopular, they're going to get crushed in the in the in the uh, 2022 election, not just because we're going to turn out, but because the people like the moms that they're going after are going to turn on them like never before, and the Democratic Party may never recover. Right? Never recover from this. This is a huge tactical error. And my God, these people do anything the commies say. Right? Right? Critical race theory. Let's divide the country. So let's attack, let's conspire in the White House to attack women who care about their kids and fathers who care about their kids. Big mistake. All right, we're going to take a break uh, and then come back with the second half of the show. We appreciate you tuning in. You're listening to the We the People Convention News and Opinion Podcast. And my name is Tom Zawistowski. The We the People Convention News and Opinion Radio Program is paid for by donors like you. You can donate to the We the People Convention and support our cause by going to wethepeopleconvention.org or by sending your check in any amount 
to We the People Convention, P.O. Box 6211, Akron, Ohio, 44312. All right, and we're back, and I sure thank all of you who do donate. Um, it's, you know, we've spent a lot of money last month on the Justice for J6 rally and our barn billboard program and things of that nature. And it's your donations that are keeping us going. And we've got some big things we want to do. So for those of you who do donate, do donate, I greatly appreciate it. And if you haven't donated before, I really wish you would consider it. Okay. And, and, and even if it's $5 a month, uh, you know, it, it helps. And, and we do not have big donors, right? We're not, we're a national organization that doesn't have anybody giving us $500,000 or something. You know, that just doesn't happen. We are funded by you, our members across the country, and we greatly appreciate that. I did also want to make a statement about, um, you know, I've been talking to you about the broadcast, uh, player page at We The People Convention where you can get the links to all the stories and things. And I also, uh, you know, just, I haven't talked much about the website, but don't forget that there's a search icon, a little eyeglass where you can search for stories, okay, and see, you know, and see things that long, you know, stories I posted quite a while back that are really good. And here's something else I want to make you aware of. You know, what happens here is, We'll take a story like like this uh, story coming up about this uh, Facebook whistleblower, or like uh, you know like the story with um, the uh, uh, school board, you know the, the letter from Garland and, and and attacking the parents. And what we'll do is instead of creating new stories, we will go in and edit those stories and add links to follow up information into them. That's why if you go to the front page and you see the, uh, you know, the buttons for, uh, stop critical race theory and, and, you know, the, uh, find, uh, uh, news about the election fraud investigations across the country, that election fraud page has been going for a year now, almost. Okay. And it's got all kinds of stories, but, Literally every news story, like this Maricopa County, you know, intentionally violating the law by not giving what the subpoena says, well, that video is now on that page. So go back and look at those topics because we update them all the time. Okay. I just want to make you aware of that. So when you get my text or email, and if you're not getting them again on the front page, you can see enter your email, enter your phone number because the phone numbers are important because I text you links because a lot of our emails don't get through, though we're having much better luck with our emails lately. Okay. But you know, when I send you that link about a story, well, you know, be sure to check back the next day and the next day to that same story because there'll be updates on that. All right, so let's continue with our updates because there's a lot still going on. Uh, the border, obviously, we still have serious problems on the border. It was good to see, uh, though it got kind of blown out of the water. Uh, you know, it just was bad timing. But on on, um, on Tuesday, I think it was, the governors, uh, 10 governors went to the uh, border and met with Governor Abbott. And governors unveil plan to end Biden's border crisis. We're not going to sit around while Biden refuses to act. I was really happy to see this. And so let me just read you a little bit of what, you know, just the highlights of those 10 things are 10 Republican governors gathered in Mission, Texas on Wednesday, where uh, they unveiled a 10 point plan to, to end Democrat Joe Biden's border crisis. The event comes as the administration has faced catastrophic levels of legal immigration on the U.S. southern border. Many directly blamed Biden for the crisis, saying that his policies and messaging has created enormous incentives for migrants to illegally enter the U.S. 
Not to mention the fact that they disarmed ICE, they just left parts of the border completely unattended, and they've invited them in, right? Okay. Texas Governor Abbott was joined at the press conference by Arizona Governor Doug Ducey, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp, Idaho Governor Brad Little, Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds, Montana Governor Greg Gianfort, Nebraska Governor Pete Ricketts, Ohio Governor Mike DeWine, Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt, and Wyoming Governor Mark Gordon. I was really glad to see that. That's great. The governor's released the following 10-point plan to end Biden's border crisis. One, continue Title 42 public health restrictions, meaning if you have COVID, if you test everyone, if they have COVID, they got to go back. Fully reinstate the migrant protection protocols, which is the return to Mexico policy. A court has already ruled that, uh, you know, that they need to re- uh, re-implement this program. Why haven't they done it? Finish securing the border. The Biden administration should reopen construction contracts to continue building the border wall and invest in infrastructure technology to help close the wall. Wait to hear what happens next after that. End catch and release. No kidding. This nonsense of catch and release used to be we catch you at the border. In fact, they'd walk right up and say, catch me, please. And then you would give them a thing saying you have to appear in court, you know, when we tell you to get a hearing on your immigration status and then release them. The Biden, the Biden regime is going one step further. They're not even saying, here's your thing for your court date. They're just saying, you know, go into the country. There is no court date. Complete violation. So end catch and release. Clear the judicial backlog. Reports indicate a backlog of cases total more than 1 million cases to give each of these people a hearing. What's the cost of that? My God, that's reason enough not to let them in. You should only let it in enough that the courts can handle, not let in the whole world and say, oh, now the courts can't handle it. Resume the deportation of all criminals. No kidding. They stopped that. The Biden regime should enforce all deportation laws of criminally convicted illegal aliens. Seven, dedicate federal resources to eradicating human trafficking and drug trafficking. No kidding. That's pretty simple. When we got all these drugs flowing across, the cartels this week, I just saw the video, they were taunting the U.S. Border Patrol agents, the, the, the armed people from the cartels across the river were taunting the, the ICE, uh, Border Patrol people because they knew they couldn't stop them from bringing drugs in the United States. Yeah. Think that's a good idea? Reenter all agreements with our Northern Triangle partners in Mexican, uh, in Mexico. Okay, and basically, just uh, Biden should re-enter the prior administration's agreements with the Northern Triangle countries, El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras, and Mexico. The countries agreed to enforce their respective borders, fix their asylum systems, and receive migrants seeking asylum before they journeyed north of the United States. Upon taking office, Joe O'Biden, Joe Obama, you know, issued an executive order terminating these agreements. Number nine, send a clear message to potential migrants. Duh. Show them we're sending you back. Yeah. And number 10, deploy more federal law enforcement officers. Those are sound ideas. Now, what are the governors going to do to make Biden do that? Because this is willful breaking of the law. This isn't an accident. It's not incompetence. The, the Biden regime, the communists, want to flood our country with criminals, with illegals, with people who are uh, who are not educated, who can't work, who don't speak the language, who are going to burden our our social plans, right? Take the money that was meant for American citizens and use it. 
So what are these governors going to do to stop that? Well, you know, I don't see them doing much. And particularly, I don't see Abbott stopping the people from coming over the border. There's supposed to be 400,000 coming across the border this month. We're on the ninth day. You're listening today, okay, on October 9th. What have we done to stop that? And then get this. Mayorka faces calls for impeachment after the latest move on border wall construction. Late Friday, just last night, before I recorded this on Saturday morning, uh, Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Morales announced contracts to construction border wall barriers in the Rio Grande Valley and the Rio sectors where the illegal immigration crisis is raging will be canceled. Consistent with Department of Homeland Security border barrier plan, U.S. Customs and Border Protection, in coordination with U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, intends to cancel the remaining border barrier contracts located within the U.S. Border Patrol, Laredo sector, and all border barrier contracts located in the Rio Grande Valley sector. DH released in a statement, DHS. CPP will then begin environmental planning and actions consistent with the national environmental policies for previously planned border barrier systems. Yeah, we're going to grow trees, right? DHS is calling on Congress to cancel all remaining and previously allocated funding for border wall construction. Congressman Dan Kronstadt from Texas is calling to impeach Mayorkas over the move. Is that not willful? How willful is that, right? It's force versus force. The states need to say, Mike DeWine, I'm glad you went to the border from Ohio. You need to say, you can't bring these illegals here. That's how you stop them. You need to send our police and our National Guard to Texas to stop them. That's what needs to be done. Talk is cheap. Where's the action? We're not seeing it. And that's why we're in the crisis we're in. Okay. Another big story this week on the COVID front. I released this at We the People Convention, and this is a big deal. Study says natural immunity lasts at least a year, while the vaccination reduces by 90% after just seven months. Most people who have been affected with SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19, will carry antibodies for at least a year, according to a recent peer-reviewed study. The European Journal of Immunology accepted a study on September 24th from scientists at the Finnish Institute of Health and Welfare who studied 1,292 subjects eight months after infection for the presence of antibodies. Their findings concluded 96% of subjects still carrying neutralizing antibodies and 66% with the neuroclonal protein antibody. Subjects who had experienced severe uh, cases of the China virus had higher antibody levels, anywhere from two to seven times as many antibodies as those who had mild infections at least 13 miles, months after contracting the disease. Uh, a pre- preliminary study, which is not yet peer-reviewed, found that antibodies decreased tenfold in just seven months after subjects received the second dose of the Pfizer vaccine. Peer-reviewed. Follow the science. How come we're not? And then if you go to that page you know, on our website where this study was released, you'll see the, the five-part Project Veritas study, uh, investigative report with undercover videos of Pfizer scientists looking into the camera and saying, your, your natural immunity is way better than the vaccine and that we're not allowed to talk about it and that we're using fetal cells in the vaccine. And it's just horrific. So go to projectveracost.com and watch all five of the videos and share them with the people who think they 
that the government is, is doing what's right. Share them, okay? It's outrageous. But thank God for Project Veritas. And again, full disclosure, we the People Convention and Nan and I personally donate to Project Veritas. We hope that you will as well. But that's where some of your donations that come to us go to help support these groups. They're doing such great work. And that study was followed up behind this little ditty. Gonna love this bad boy, okay? Behind India's an ivermectin blackout. New COVID cases dropped 97% in five weeks. In June, five weeks after health officials of Uttar Pradesh, India's most populous state, launched an aggressive program to fight COVID and Delta variants, new cases dropped by a staggering 97.1%. According to Z News of India, the strategy of trace, test, and treat yields results. The health officials went door-to-door in the state of 230 million residents, so almost as big as the United States, providing a test and treat program with medicine kits. The World Health Organization praised the overwhelming success of the program, but would not identify the medicines used in the kits provided to residents. International media, including big media in the United States, also refused to identify the medicine in the kits. What was in the kits? That would be ivermectin. By July 2nd, COVID cases in Uttar Pradesh were down a full 99%, and still, media would not acknowledge that ivermectin was a key ingredient in the Uttar Pradesh success story. On August 6th, 6th, India's ivermectin media blackout ended as Western media, including MSN, finally acknowledged that what was contained in those Uttar Pradesh medical kits, Dr. Justin Hope noted in an analysis of the Desert Review on September 27th. On August 25th, the Indian media finally picked up on the discrepancy between Uttar Pradesh's massive success and the failure of other states, such as Kerala. Although Uttar Pradesh was only 5% vaccinated to Kerala's 20%, Uttar Pradesh had just 22 cases uh, uh, on August 25th, where Kerala had 31,445 that day. So it became apparent that whatever was contained in those treatment cuts must have been pretty effective, Dr. Hope said, and that would be ivermectin. Yet you can't buy it. You can't get it here in Ohio. You can't get it in a lot of states. Why is that? Where does the government get the right to tell us that? Where is the force of law that the CDC or the, uh, the, you know, the um, National Institute of Health, NIH, where do they get the right to tell my doctor that they can't prescribe a legal drug for my illness. I am just stunned that we can't get traction in the courts about this because these are the prophylactics. These are the drugs that we need to have. And last week in the show, I showed you that you you can get a a natural uh, drug, okay, that's made from natural ingredients that's not a prescription. Uh, Quentersin is called that I posted a link on our website about so you can have ivermectin even if they won't give it to you. But this is a tragedy. And and and, and, it's, and it's it's not a tragedy. I'm sorry. That, a tragedy is something that happens that can't be avoided. This, this is a man-made catastrophe. And it's made by the left. And it's made by the communist Chinese. And I still believe its intent is what it's doing. And that is to destroy capitalism, free markets, and liberty across the world and introduce communism on a global scale. 
talk more about that in a couple more stories. Okay, the other big story this week was the Facebook whistleblower. Big deal. Oh, wow, this good-looking uh, you know, woman comes and says she's a whistleblower. She stole documents from Facebook and is blowing the whistle. So they had Senate and congressional hearings for this woman to tell her story. Right about how we got to fix Facebook, that social media is hurting our children and all that stuff, which we already knew, right? But that's just not true. She's a phony. She's a fraud. We're going to prove it right now. Here's a short video from Tucker Carlson, who was fooled, admitted he was fooled, and came back and did a story the next night to say he was sorry he was fooled. We figured something must be up because the media was treating her like a hero. And they don't do that for people who believe in free speech. In a recent interview with 60 Minutes, Haugen explained that she sees her role as fighting, quote, misinformation. Frances Haugen told us she was recruited by Facebook in 2019. She says she agreed to take the job only if she could work against misinformation because she had lost a friend to online conspiracy theories. I never wanted anyone to feel the pain that I had felt. And I had seen how high the stakes were in terms of making sure there was high quality information on Facebook. At headquarters, she was assigned to Civic Integrity, which worked on risks to elections, including misinformation. Oh, online conspiracy theories like COVID came from a pangolin or the vaccine causes no harm whatsoever? Right. The second you start hearing language like that, misinformation, conspiracy theories, you know you're dealing with a partisan actor, not a person acting in good faith. And now... As to confirm it, just a short time ago, Fox News confirmed that the so-called whistleblower is going to testify before the January 6th committee. That could happen as soon as tomorrow. Now for reaction, Matt Walsh, who is someone we trust completely, host of The Matt Walsh Show. Matt, thanks so much for coming on. This is effectively a correction segment that we're doing now. Uh, I don't know how this got past us yesterday, and I'm a little bit embarrassed, but assess what you think is going on here, if you would. Well, I, I think, first of all, a good general rule here is that when the media tells us about a whistleblower, the first hint that it's not a real whistleblower is that the media is telling us about it. Because we have to remember <laughs> that, you know, look, Facebook, big tech, uh, the Democrat Party, the media, they're all part of the same system. And so if someone right. within that system it has deep, dark, dirty secrets that they want to tell us, no one within the system is going to elevate and amplify that story. And that's why, it, and, and so it's no surprise when you listen to the revelations that this person, this so-called whistleblower, had to tell us about. One is that, yeah, social media is bad for kids, and it is terrible for kids, but I tell you something, as a father, right. I'm not worried about Instagram affecting my daughter because I'm not giving a phone to my daughter. So I consider that something that I can take, take, take control of myself. But then the, the, the real focus is uh, all this stuff about misinformation, people right. being radicalized. No, it's, they're not worried about Facebook censoring free speech or stifling speech. That's the real problem. Their issue, and Francis Haugen's issue, is that they're not stifling speech enough. And you see why the, you see why the corporate media would, would have a lot of interest in this story, because uh, they, they want to be the sole disseminators of, um, of information. And That's they see competition on, with, with conservatives and people on the right who use social media to speak to each other and get opinions out there. And that's what they want to put a stop to. Well, exactly. Facebook is power. You control the political content on Facebook and you control election outcomes, period. So that's what they want to do. And well, so this little social justice snowflake is a plan. And so 
that, you know, what Tucker said is true, except for the part where he says, if you control Facebook, you control elections, period. Uh, guess what? Didn't do it in 2016. Didn't do it in 2020. How come we won all those elections in 2020, including the presidential election? Okay. But that still, you know, needs to be done. But how about all those state races that we won? Right? How about those governor races, Tucker? No, you're fooled. You're, you're too, you don't understand. We're already beating Facebook and those people with shows like this, with podcasts, with emails, with text messages, right? But I, I, you know, let me go on. Facebook whistleblower was part of election meddling team that nuked the Hunter Biden laptop story. The Facebook whistleblower thread has been pulled and now the facade won't stop unraveling to the point that Francis Haugen has been revealed as part of the team of big tech censors at the center of 2020 election meddling the post-millennial has found. Hagen, Haugen was a member of Facebook's Civic Integrity Unit, which was tasked with countering so-called misinformation. Let's read that as throttling political disfavored content, okay, about the 2020 election. In October, that uh, entitled Censoring the New York Post Reporting on Hunter Biden's Laptop, which incriminated the Biden's son and his father for corruption in the run-up to the highly contested election. Uh, let's see here. Haugen, who joined Facebook in 2019 on the condition of being uh, tasked with censoring misinformation, as Tucker Carlson said in, in that piece, was assigned to the 200-member Civic Integrity Unit, where she worked until after the 2020 presidential election. Haugen and four other people, according to the New York Post, were tasked with building a system to track misinformation targeted at specific groups in just three months. And after their efforts were successful and Biden, quote, won the election, Facebook dissolved the unit. They had done their job. They had rigged the election, right? Good job. The so-called whistleblower has already been confirmed to be a left-wing activist. Soon after Haugen came forward with stolen documents lamenting that Facebook is doing, isn't doing enough to censor hate speech and political dissidents, financial records reveal that she regularly donates to Democrats, including radicals such as Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She's donated six times to Democrats. Haugen's attorney are also, attorneys are also deeply steeped in left-wing corruption. Her lawyers were part of the legal team that represented the fake whistleblower who complained about then-President Donald Trump's Ukraine phone call. Remember Vindman? Remember him? A call by which the whistleblower did not have first-hand knowledge led to a sham impeachment. Now she's receiving strategic communications guidance from former Obama aide Bill Burton's public relations firm, Byerson Gillette, which is run by Democratic operatives. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki was a senior advisor there until September of 2020. This is a setup. This is the, 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 the commies, right? The, the hard left basically wants to take control. They're trying to threaten Facebook and say, you will either censor Tom Zawistowski and those We the People convention people, you will either stop them or we're going to hurt you. That's what they want. They are trying to help us. And the Republicans who were at the, you know, the, these, uh, these hearings with this woman, you know, and, and, and you know, uh, Ted, Ted Cruz was there, uh, Blackburn, the, the senator from uh, Tennessee, uh, you know, she was there. They were, they still didn't say, okay, now they did ask, should we break up Facebook? Right. And she said, oh, no, no, we just need to regulate them better. And then notice that right after she said that, Facebook put out a statement saying, we think she's wrong about what she's saying. We agree on one thing. We need the Congress to regulate us better, right? Tell us what you want us to do. 
That's what we need? We need our government telling our social media companies what to do? That's not totalitarian, right? But but what our Republicans didn't ask is, do you think Facebook should be a public utility? And I've talked to you about this before. There is no way that you can have social media as a monopoly that isn't a public utility and still protect our rights and freedoms. It's that simple. Because the only way you can have Facebook work and Twitter work and YouTube work, okay, and even Google to some extent, is if it's a pay service like your gas bill, like your electric bill, and like your phone bill. They should only be responsible for delivering the content I want to me without any censorship, right? The phone company doesn't tell you who you can call or who can call you, right? That's the way it should be. And, and, and so it needs to be a public utility, but they don't want it to be a public utility, folks, because they want control of you. They want it to spy on you. They want it to manipulate you. They want to use the psychological tools. That's what they want to do. That's why we got to stop them. So go watch, you know, uh, the, the, the video of her because she's a beauty. She's a phony. She's a fake. Then there was a, a, an outage this week. Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp hit by global outage for six hours. Facebook was down. Oh my God. Yeah. I want to do a meme that said Facebook was down and the world was a better place for six hours. And then they had another outage on Friday. And they said it was a maintenance issue. I'm hoping that there's some white hats, some white hat people who are, you know, inside attacking. I would love to see um, an accident, of course. I would never condone illegal activity. But it would just be a shame if all the data that Facebook and Twitter and Google have on all of you uh, somehow got just destroyed by a virus. You know, that, I, man, you know, that'd be just a shame, wouldn't it? Gosh, yeah. wonder what's going on this week. Was it really a maintenance issue or wasn't it? I don't know. Taiwan. Back to Taiwan, folks. I've been telling you, and I know when I first started talking about this, you were like, what is Tom talking about? We got this election problems. We got, you know, Biden's, you know, problems. We got all these problems here. And Tom started talking eight months ago about Taiwan because that's what this is all about. This is all about China taking control of the world, knocking us off as the superpower and then becoming the sole superpower. That's what this is about. That's why they paid Hunter Biden. They paid Kamala Harris's husband. They pay for Nancy Pelosi. Go look on our website. Go to wethepeopleconvention.org. Just search on China. You will see a page where I list out every single person in this administration is getting money from China. Go ahead, read it, and then tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm lying. It's documented. But it's all about China, and now it's about Taiwan. And so it's escalating. Taiwan on alert after record number of Chinese planes enter airspace warns of catastrophic consequences if democracy fails. Taiwan needs to be on alert after a record number of Chinese aircraft flew into countries, the country's defense zone on Monday, Premier Su Sang Chang told reporters. Taiwan must be on alert. China is more and more over the top, Su said Tuesday. The world has also seen China repeated violations of regional peace and pressure on Taiwan. China sent 
52 warships into the defense zone on Monday, representing the largest incursion since Taiwan began recording such data in 20, uh, 2020, and about 380 aircraft incursions into their airspace just this year. Okay? President... Uh, President Tsai Ing-wen said other countries need to work with the island as China becomes more aggressive, warning of catastrophic consequences if Taiwan were to fall. It would signal that in today's global context of values, authoritarianism has the upper hand over democracy, she wrote in Foreign Affairs on Tuesday. Amen. That's what that means. China considers Taiwan to be a sovereign ter territory and previously stated Taiwanese independence means war. It blames the U.S., which provides arms to Taiwan and is the country's most important backer in the international community for the incursions, uh, according to Reuters. China is saying because we're, you know, we're helping Taiwan defend itself, they're going to go and, and, you know, and, and invade their territory. Now, a little story that came up that is tied to this that's really important, and that is that it was just released that uh, I'm guessing this topic didn't make it into the agenda during Joe Biden's recent phone call with Xi from China, but it's being reported today that the United States military has had a small contingent of troops, both soldiers and Marines, operating in Taiwan for the past year. The troops have reportedly been conducting training for Taiwanese troops in both ground tactics and small boat operations. Needless to say, the Chinese are not thrilled with this news and see it as a breach of a long-standing agreement between America and China. To put it mildly, they're not taking the news so well. Yeah, who did that? Donald J. Trump did that. What do you want to bet that Biden removes those troops? If he removes those troops, folks, that's a green light to China, a green light. If he removes those troops, he's telling China, if you invade, we'll do nothing. Because I got news for you. If the Chinese invade and kill one American soldier, that's reason for us to go to war. That's why those troops are there. That's why Trump put them there. Okay, now I want to get to a couple other things. You know, that we're not going to have as long of a podcast this week as we've had, you know, before. But, um, you know, I've got a couple more stories I want to do and then, and then we'll wrap it up. Uh, this was interesting. In the middle of the week, the Senate released a report that details a timeline of the chaotic, chaotic final weeks of the Trump's presidency following his, his quote-unquote loss to Joe Biden and his extraordinary efforts to reverse the 2020 presidential elections. Okay, so the media was breathless to release this Senate report. Donald Trump's extraordinary efforts to overturn the 2020 election defeated, brought, uh, defeat brought the Justice Department to the brink of chaos and prompted top officials there at the White House to threaten to resign. A Senate Judiciary Committee report found the nearly 400-page report released Thursday by the Democrat-run committee offers new insight. Yeah, new insight. I'll show you how it offers lies blue lies into how the Republican incumbent tried to undo the vote and exert his will on the department, asking leaders to declare the election corrupt and disparaging its top officials for not doing anything to overturn the results. Trump's actions led to a near revolt at the department headquarters that receded only after senior officials warned of mass resignations, with one White House lawyer describing efforts to undo the election as a murder-suicide pact. Yeah, that's their 400-page report, Okay. Fortunately, under Chuck Grassley, who we featured earlier, there was a minority staff report. And that's not 400 pages, but it's pretty lengthy. 
Um, and I'll link to this so you can read the whole thing. But I want to just read, you know, some of the minority report. Okay. This is the Republicans releasing this. Uh, the title of the minority report, let's see, it was called, uh, what here? It was called, uh, Judicial Committee Ranking Member, a factual summary of testimony from senior Justice Department officials relating to the events from December 14th to January 3rd. So that's the name of this report. Three days after President Biden's inauguration, Senate Judiciary Committee Democrats, under the leadership of incoming Chairman Richard Durbin, launched an investigation into President Trump's management of the DOJ following the 2020 election. Through their investigation, committee Democrats focused on the weeks from December 14th to January 3rd and sought to show that during his final days in office, President Trump nearly prompted a constitutional crisis with an alleged plot to use and weaponize DOJ in order to subvert the results of the 2020 presidential election. Those are all in quotes. Democrats focused much of their efforts on January 3rd, an Oval Office meeting where, despite his express uh, concerns that acting Attorney General Rosen had not adequately performed his job to investigate election fraud allegations, President twice, Trump twice retracted um, uh, terminating him. Moreover, in that same meeting, President Trump, Trump twice rejected DOJ Attorney Jeffrey Clark's idea for DOJ to send a letter to state legislators that le recommended they convene to pick electors. In pushing their inaccuracy, inaccurate narrative, Chairman Durbin stated via Twitter on June 5th, before all of this had been reviewed and any witnesses interviewed that, what my office found in our investigation is a five-alarm fire for democracy, underscoring the depths of the White House's efforts to influence the electoral vote certification. I will demand all evidence of Trump's efforts to weaponize the DOJ and this election subversion scheme, right? Even though Trump rejected firing these people when he was told to do that twice. The statement related to documents that were leaked to the New York Times and subject of a report on January on June 5th, 2020. The New York Times article stated that emails were discovered as part of the Senate Judicial Committee's investigation and Chairman Durbin is quoted opening, uh, opining about the records. Specifically, the leaked material related to Mark Meadows, um, that he sent to the DOJ asking them to relieve to review allegations of voter fraud. Durbin, via the Judiciary uh, Democrats' Twitter account, said the Dominics revealed that Mark Meadows pressured the DOJ to investigate unfounded conspiracy theories about the 2020 presidential election in an attempt to nullify the real results. Neither the available documents nor testimony provided the committee support such a statement. Richard Donahue, President Trump's principal deputy attorney general, gave testimony directly contradicting Chairman Durbin's allegations when Donahue testified that President Trump's efforts had no impact on DOJ and FBI's actions to investigate election fraud allegations. He testified that, and they still put it in their report and highlighted it, right? Moreover, with respect to Meadows, Donahue's testimony contradicts Durbin's public statements that Meadows pressured DOJ to investigate the allegations. Donahue was asked about the emails Meadows sent to the DOJ referencing alleged uh, election allegations. So was Meadows fairly, this is in the testimony, so was Meadows fairly differential to DOJ in that regard? He forwarded you things and he deferred to you judgment and expertise after he sends this information your way. Donahue says, yes, I think that's a fair, character fair characterization. Donahue was asked about steps Meadows took to have the DOJ investigate allegations of election irregularities in Pennsylvania in particular. Question, did the chief of staff ask you to take any particular actions or was it just more in the vein of questions about whether you were looking, what you were looking at? No, I think it was more along the lines of, you know, you guys know about this Pennsylvania claim, right? And we said yes, because he wasn't on the call to president. 
So it was more of an echo of what the president told us two nights before. So what I'm saying to you is in this minority report, it makes clear that the majority report is a pack of lies. And of course, all the media ran the report from the Democrats that's a pack of lies, that the testimony right in the document proves the pack of lies, but they gave nothing to the Dem to the Republican Minority Report. We live in a land of lies. That's not journalism. That's not media. That's propaganda. That's undermining our democracy, quote unquote, to steal one of their phrases, undermining our republic and our constitutional protections. This is horrific. It should be illegal. Anyway, so at least the Republicans came back and, and fought it and, and, and basically another witch hunt, another propaganda piece. Fortunately, it didn't get much coverage, right? But you got to fight back. So thanks to Chuck Grassley and his group for at least writing their report and proving beyond a doubt with facts that their report was a lie. All right, a couple more things. This is an interesting little ditty. I get I get most of the me emails from the left. Uh, I won't tell you how that happened, but I'm on like their email list, and I have to do that because I need to know what they're doing. Okay, and and like all political email lists, they get bought and sold and shared and things like that. So things go all over the place. I do not share your emails with anyone. We have never done that in a Tea Party. It's just not our practice. We do not sell our lists, and we do not share our lists. Uh, we keep your information confidential. But nonetheless, we get all these emails. So I get this information, this email from a group called, um, they're called Operation 147. Who the hell is Operation 147? Never heard of them, okay? Your, phone, uh, your telephone provider could be funding the big lie. Reuters just released this must-read report on ties between AT&T and One America News. OAN worked overtime to amplify the election fraud lies that incited the January 6th insurrection. And apparently, AT&T has been crucial to funding their platform and growth as a network. Quote, AT&T has been a crucial source of funds flowing into One American News, providing tens of millions of dollars in revenue, court records show. 90% of OAN's revenue come from the contract with AT&T-owned television platforms. What they're talking about here, as if it's something nefarious, is direct TV. If you're on a cable system, your monthly cable bill pays for those cable channels, even if you don't like them. That's why I hate the fact that part of my cable goes to CNN and NSLSD and ESPN and all these other lefty groups, right? So, but they're writing about, oh, because they're on direct TV, AT&T is funding One America News. OAN is, a, is an essential weapon in the 147's propaganda arsenal because it doesn't have any rules. Now, let me go back and say, Operation 147 is named because there were 147 members of Congress who didn't betray Trump during the, you know, the election and still support him. And their goal is to unelect the 147. So that's why it's called Operation 147. Anyway, uh, because, you know, OAN is a central weapon in 147's propaganda arsenal because it doesn't have any rules. While we were reluctant to give Fox News too much credit, their news desk, desk did not hesitate to call the 2020 presidential race accurately. And by banning guests like Rudy Giuliani and Mike Lundell, they have made it clear that there are lines that they will not cross. 
Trump has been kicked off of all social media platforms for inciting the January 6th insurrection. And while they can always, uh, uh, always, well, say, while they can always uh, do more to enforce, they have uh, enforced lesser sanctions on the 147 members like Marjorie Taylor Greene. Uh, attempts by Trump loyalists to start their own social media platforms have failed because web hosts and credit card processors don't want them to work. Oh, this is real quote, democracy, right? This is freedom and liberty. This isn't censorship. This isn't the freedom of speech, right? Because you don't have that right, only they do. But So what they're basically saying is that ONN lets these 147 on, like Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, and, and Matt Gates and people like that. ONN is the latest, the last completely rules-free platform for the 147 have left to weave their conspiracy theories with impunity. And now we know why. AT&T has been writing checks. We need to cut off OAN and the 147 where it really hurts without their network of misinformation. They will lose their ability to radicalize everyday Americans and disappear into political obscurity. This email came to me. Okay. So what are they doing? They got a button on their email that says, click here to tell AT&T to stop inciting right-wing violence. So as my call to action this week, I think we ought to jump in on this. Okay? I think we need to just jump in because they want them to write to AT&T and say, stop you know, uh, funding right-wing violence. Stop funding One American News. In essence, they want them to throw them off of DirecTV. That's what they want to do. Well, I have AT&T phones for my company and for my whole family, okay? Uh, I've got DirecTV. We're paying AT&T a lot of money. So this week, I'm going to be calling AT&T, and I'm going to be telling them that if they participate in censorship by removing One America News from my channels, I won't just take my DirecTV away. I'll take all my phone business away. I know that many, many, many of you who are We the People Convention members have AT&T services. Here's a page that I want you to go to. It's called investors.att.com slash resources slash contacts. Investors.att.com slash resources slash contacts. And you will find links where you can get in touch with their investor relations people. You can get in touch with their customer relations people. You can get in touch with their board members. And I think maybe we ought to push back a little bit. What do you think? Why don't we have some fun with that this week? Will you promise me that you'll call at and And even if you don't have AT&T, just, just call them up and, and tell them, you know, this is America. You have no business to censor what I get. Stop listening to the 147 group, Okay. The, you know, stop this, these people from intimidating you. And oh, by the way, we have other options and we'll take them. We got to fight back. That's my call to action for you, right? This week. I also talked to you about talking to your legislators about, you know, joining with the, uh, about having audits of all 50 state elections, right? That was an important thing. And, you know, we're always talking to our congressman about Taiwan. That's an important thing. So, you know, this is the ask for this week. We don't just talk, we take action. All right, so to wrap up the show, uh, I want to just go over uh, something that we've been working on all week. Last week, I said to you that we need to elect warriors. We need to elect people in 2022 in House and Senate 
who are going to go and vote to destroy the left. We can't just do what we always do. Trump can't just keep endorsing rhinos like McConnell, okay? He's got to endorse only warriors. And so we decided that we would try to come up with a list of things that we would want to do. And I decided that we would call this a contract between we, the people of the United States, and Donald J. Trump, the 45th president of the United States. And, and, I, and I haven't written the whole contract, okay? And this is my first blush at showing this to you or telling you about it. But it says, this agreement is entered into for the sole purpose of creating a mutual understanding of the expectations upon all who agree to be party to this contract for the 2022 and 2024 elections and for the future governance of the United States of America. So that's how I set it up, okay? And then, you know, we'll flush that out. But you guys were great. I got great emails from you at info at wethepeopleconvention.org, info at wethepeopleconvention.org, where you said, here's my five things, right? This is what I think we should do. And I just kept putting in this big, big document and trying to put commonalities together, like close the border, right? That's an important one. Get rid of the FBI, things of that nature. And I've been able to pull it together into 15 points, which I think are too many, but maybe not. And this week, I'll probably send something out to you that will be kind of like a survey where you can prioritize which you think is the first, second, third, whatever, okay? I'd like to get it down to 10. I originally started at 5. We're at 15. Can we get it down to 10? But let me just close the program by kind of running through the 15 and see what you think. I think you'll be pretty happy. I'm pretty proud of them, okay? Let's see what you think. Number one hasn't changed. All Republicans running for Congress, House, or Senate must pledge that they will vote immediately to impeach Joe Biden and Kamala Harris after taking back the U.S. House in the 2020 election based on the articles of impeachment just submitted by Ohio Congressman Bob Gibbs. You can read those at wethepeopleconvention.com. Search on, grab this little eyeglass, search on Gibbs. You can click and download his impeachment resolutions. That's all you need. Vote on that. Impeach them. Number two. All Republicans running for Congress, House, or Senate must pledge that they will vote to finish the wall on the southern border and secure all U.S. borders with the use of U.S. military if necessary. They will immediately vote to amend the Immigration and Nationality Act to end chain migration and replace it with an as-needed merit-based immigration policy and then pass legislation to revoke the ability for anyone who entered the United States illegal illegally to get any benefits provided by the federal government that are intended for only U.S. citizens. I think you'll like that one. Number three, all Republicans running for Congress, House, and Senate must pledge that they will vote to repeal Section 230 of the, uh, of the Communications Act and pass legislation making the Google search engine database, all email services, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and uh, all of them will be made public utilities that will be paid services that do not accumulate any user information and do not censor any content that is not otherwise prohibited by existing law. Treat them like the phone company. Okay? Number four, all Republicans running for Congress must pledge that they will vote to repeal any law that promotes and funds single-family parenting and out-of-wedlock births and replace those laws with laws that encourage two-parent families, including significant tax incentives for people, for couples having multiple children. 
pro-family government. Number five, all Republicans running for Congress, House, or Senate must pledge that they will vote to make government unions illegal in the United States and make all government employees at-will employees subject only to the same protections against employment discrimination enjoyed by all Americans. Got to have it. The unions from Franklin Delano Roosevelt said there should never be public sector unions and there should not be. They are destroying our country. They are protecting the incompetence, which which we have 80% of them are incompetent, in my opinion, okay? And they're stealing our money, and they're, and they're funding the left. We got to defund them. Number six, all Republicans running for Congress, House and Senate must pledge that they will vote to end all direct federal funding of four-year colleges and universities, including the cancellation of the bankrupt student loan program. No federal funds for any four-year college. Now they'll say, oh, but you know, these Ivy League schools do government research and all that. Nope, nope, do that through private companies. No money to four-year colleges and universities and no government loans for going to school. Watch what happens to tuition at colleges when you, the taxpayer, aren't on the hook to back up these phony loans to people who shouldn't be in college anyway. See what happens to college enrollment now. That's a key issue. Number seven, all Republicans running for Congress, House, or Senate must pledge that they will vote to completely defund and eliminate the Federal Bureau of Investigation and assign all of its critical functions to the U.S. Marshal Service. Furthermore, they will vote to fund the Department of Homeland Security to do a broad investigation of all senior government officials, including but not limited to members of both houses of Congress and their staffs, as well employees as employees of the CIA, NSA, State Department, and others to determine their involvement, if any, with any foreign governments or anti-American domestic terrorist organizations such as Antifa, Black Lives Matter, La Raza, Communist Party USA, Black Bloc, Earth First, American Liberation Front, Earth Liberation Front, Code Pink, PETA, etc. You love what I follow up with, number eight. All Republicans running for Congress, House, Senate must pledge that they will vote to make it illegal to be a member of, distributor of, or donor to any organization that espouses anti-capitalist, socialist, communist, or Marxist beliefs or policies or actions against the United States with the penalty of being charged with sedition and if found guilty, either imprisonment or deportation with the loss of U.S. citizenship. No more commies. Being a commie, touting communism, is not free speech. It's worse than shouting fire in a theater. They want to censor our free speech. We are not going to let them undermine our representative republic, our constitution. We are going to not let them attack our individual liberties because of free speech. We're going to make it illegal to be a communist in the United States, and then we're going to hunt them down across the rest of the world. Number nine. All Republicans for Congress or House must pledge that they will vote to restore the concept of America being a melting pot of cultures where all immigrants are here to become Americans and that, and to reject the Marxist cancer of multiculturalism by making English the official language of the United States and prohibiting any government documents from being provided in any other language at taxpayer expense. Left's heads exploding. Good. They need to explode. We need to know what we stand for. They need to know what we stand for, and we need to vote on it.
Number 10, all Republicans running for Congress, House, or Senate must pledge that they will vote to move the headquarters and majority of employees for all federal agencies out of Washington, D.C. and place them in separate locations throughout the United States. Any federal agency that has a similar agency at the state level will have its budget cut by 80% and its role will be legally changed from rulemaking and enforcement agency to an advisory agency that is secondary to the state agency's decision-making and enforcement roles. So if your state has an EPA, the federal EPA's budget gets cut by 80% and they no longer tell your EPA what to do they advise your EPA on what they're doing or should do. And your EPA decides what goes on in your state. I like that. Okay, furthermore, they will vote to repeal all rules and regulations made by any federal agency that have not specifically been passed by Congress. Any federal agency that operates its own courts or law enforcement agencies, other than those specifically funded by Congress, uh, shall be uh, shall be uh, other than those specifically funded to do so by Congress shall have those courts and enforcement agencies defunded. This goes back to this abdication of Congress of rule and lawmaking to unelected bureaucrats in these agencies who now have gone so far to not only just make law but create their own police force and courts to enforce them. That's not in the Constitution. That needs to be dismantled. And this is how you do it. Make Congress have to vote and specifically fund the post office having military equipment. Okay? And this next thing will address some of the problems with that. Okay? Um, all Republicans running for number 11. All Republicans running for Congress, House, or Senate must pledge that they will vote to pass legislation to make continuing resolutions illegal and return Congress to the traditional legislative and budgeting process known as regular order lawmaking. Regular order is generally viewed as a systemic, systematic, step-by-step lawmaking process that emphasizes the role of committees, bill introduction and referral of the committee, the conduct of committee hearings, markups and reports on legislation, House and Senate floor consideration of committee-reported measures, and the creation of conference committees to resolve bicameral differences. No more continuing resolutions. You have to pass the budget in Congress through the committees with your and my reps having to vote and have accountability for what they pass. All Republicans for number 12, all Republicans running for Congress, House, Senate must pledge that they recognize the irrefutable fact that U.S. in U.S. law, the term gender is the same as sex and that there are only two genders, male and female, and gender is not fluid or self-determined and that gender identity has no basis in law or science and that they will vote to pass legislation that requires one or the other gender be documented on birth certificates for everyone born in the United States and that person's sex will be noted on all government documents going forward from birth to death after of that individual for the purpose of law, the end of the insanity, the madness of gender fluidity. Number 13, all Republicans running for Congress, House, and Senate must pledge that they will vote to make mandatory that all members of Congress and their entire staff pass the same background checks as required by a, of an executive department appointees. Our congressmen have no background check. None. It's insane. 
Number 14, all Republicans in house, uh, running for Congress for House or Senate must pledge that they shall vote to change the law so that Congress and all members of their staff shall be subject to all laws previously passed by Congress and that will be passed in the future. All exemption in law for Congress members and their staff are immediately void. That's what it says in the Constitution. That's the way it's supposed to be. They've exempted themselves. They shouldn't have. Number 15, last and not the least, all Republicans running for Congress, House, or Senate must pledge that they will vote to pass legislation to require that the Comptroller General of the United States give a fiscal State of the Union address to Congress within one week of the Presidential State of the Union, provide, providing the American public with an audited balance sheet and projections for the next 12 months, period. Okay? Now, why is that important? See, because all they want to do is obfuscate. All they want to do is say, well, our debt and our deficit, and we need to raise the debt ceiling and all that. You and I, the American people, have never seen what's called a balance sheet. The balance sheet is what you're really worth, okay? You're not worth just the money you have in the bank or stocks minus what you have in loans. You're worth what your house is worth, your property is worth, your antique collection is worth, your jewelry, your, go your gold, your other assets. The United States government owns like 40% of the land west of the Mississippi. How much is that worth? It's worth trillions of dollars. They will never tell you that because they don't want you to know that. And so by having the, uh, the Auditor General do this fiscal State of the Union, Okay, the Comptroller General do this fiscal state of the union every year to tell the American people what our net worth is will blow up all the insanity and will end the deficits. Because what we can then do is force them to sell land to us, to the public, right, to pay off the debt. We should have no debt. We have assets up the kazoo. They don't want you to know that. So... I know that was a lot, okay? Uh, I'm probably going to post this, like I said, and give you an ability to kind of read them and rank order them or make comments or whatever. Take advantage of the, uh, you know, replay button on the player, on the, on, on the podcast player, and listen to these again because I know it's 15 things. I read them, and it's hard. I know you need to see them in writing. So, you know, I'll put a link on the podcast player page where you can, you know, access this document. It's not done. We still got to refine it. It's not written as well as it needs to be. I also need to get some people to look at it legally. But I think it's a pretty good start. I think you'd be pretty excited if we could elect people so that they would implement this. Would America be better? Hell yeah. I think America would be a lot better. All right. So anyway, I'm going to wrap up the show, the podcast for this week. Um, you know, I've, I've got to show you a couple things, too, that are changing because you're probably wondering what's, uh, you know, what's going on? Why do we have this? Here's uh, the podcast close page. And you may have noticed that on the opening screen, there is a lot more writing than there has to be as normally been. And so the close screen says, tell people about this podcast. And I wish you would. And send us your comments at info at We the People Convention. But you'll also see a podcaster disclaimer, which is about as, as easy to read as the disclaimers on TV commercials. And there was a disclaimer also uh, at the beginning of the, of the podcast. Let me see if I can pull that one up. Okay. The podcast opening screen, you'll see that I had this on there. Okay. And this is because of the, the threat that we're under constantly for being sued. 
Okay. What the left is trying to do is to shut us up and you up and all the podcasters and everybody else. We see what they're trying to do with One America News is you'll notice that I'm also using a lot more headlines, not pictures in our screens and on our website, because what they're doing is they're using Google Analytics to search our website to see if we may have inadvertently used a photograph that somehow is copyrighted that we had no idea that it was copyrighted. And then we get these letters saying, we're going to sue you because you intentionally used my picture and we want $18,000. Okay? So we've got to protect ourselves. So that's why I'm using less pictures. Uh, that's why I'm putting these disclaimers up saying, listen, you know, we're a news and analysis show. We're, you know, we're doing this for educational purposes. And therefore, you know, there are rights to use the content we're using to do that purpose. Okay. And so that doesn't mean they can't sue us. That can't, doesn't mean they can't put us out of business by suing us. That's what the left does all the time, but it's what we're doing to try to protect ourselves. All right. So enough of that, you know, internal housekeeping stuff. I, you know, I sure appreciate you watching the podcast. Um, I, I do know that, you know, many of you are so curious about our, you know, barn billboard program. We are still getting requests for barn billboards. We're still looking for donations. We're still looking for locations. We are still sending out barn billboards, but we're kind of waiting for more evidence before we spend tens of thousands of dollars on media to promote it. But we're still doing that. And, um, you know, we're still fighting the fight. And I hope you will keep fighting the fight because it's up to us. I've said this all along. No one's going to defend our freedom but us. Not Donald Trump, not the Republican Party, not some think tank. We the people. You've got to go to your school board meetings. You've got to take over your school boards. And you've got to fire the union. We'll be talking about more about that. Okay, because most of the people running for school board are worried about getting CRT out and stopping this gender you know, indoctrination and all that stuff. And that's important. But we need to get the teachers unions out. Matter of fact, we need to go to full vouchers. We talked about that. So support your, your you know, this November, there's lots of school board candidates up. Find out who are the conservative ones. Okay, go to your board of elections website. Find out who these people are. If you don't know who to vote for, contact them and find out and then vote them in. And then push them to get rid of this teachers union. All right. I'm going to wrap it up for this week. I hope you have a great week. Enjoy the fall weather. Enjoy each other. Do not indoctrinate yourself. Do not get you know stoked by the media. Don't watch too much. If it starts to bug you, turn it off. Have some peace and quiet. Read a book. Okay. Take care of your mental health, your physical health. All right. And, and, and stay in the fight. That's what we need to do. Well, I'll talk to you again next week. You've been listening to the We the People Convention News and Opinion Podcast, and this is Tom Zawistowski.